Wistful Thinking is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more movie and nostalgia podcasts, visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome to Wistful Thinking, the podcast where we revisit pop culture from our youth to see if it's as good all grown up. I'm Jordan Poland clark With me is my co-host, Garagail O'Regan. Hello. Hi, and today we're continuing our political theme for November. We watched the movie Dick from 1999, starring Kirsten Dunst and Michelle Williams and a lot of other really amazing people who I forgot were uh, in it. What a cast. It really was. Um, but before we get to that, Kara has some business to take care of. She really, really, really wants to tell me about Look Who's Talking. <laughs> yes. So, as I think I mentioned on the last episode, I've been watching a lot of Amy Heckerling movies. Uh, You may know Amy Heckerling as the director of Clueless, but also directed such classics as Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And recent uh, first time viewing for me, Look Who's Talking, starring Kirstie Alley and John Travolta, and also Bruce Willis as a baby who talks. Um... (laughs) And going into it, I was like, this sounds like the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard or seen in my life. Well, and I, it, it is... does, and I've, I've seen it, and it, I remember it as stupid, but continue. <laughs> um, well, I think a lot of people maybe remember the second one more, which actually is very stupid, because the idea of the talking baby doesn't have a lot of mileage to it so when they tried to squeeze out two sequels it didn't go great but um i had never seen it before and i am so glad that i got to see it for the first time like as a 31 year old woman because i understood it and like it resonated with me on the level that i did not expect because it is about uh, a woman who gets pregnant accidentally and then winds up um having to raise the child herself because the guy that knocked her up is an asshole and John Travolta drives her to the hospital and then becomes her babysitter and then her boyfriend. Um, And it's, I watched it twice in two days because it's such a bonkers movie. Like it is so weird that the whole first time I watched it, I was like, this is so weird (laughs) and I couldn't really get past the weirdness of it and just kind of like the surprise and delight that anyone was allowed to make this movie Um, because it like sneaks in a lot of um, important like details and facts about pregnancy and childbirth that we don't often get to see on screen or talk about in public or anything like that. Was it written Um, by a woman? Yes. It was actually Amy Heckerling's first writer director credit. Okay. Yeah. So after she had directed like a few scripts that other people had written, um, not all of them great. She was like, fuck this. I want to make my own movie. And, um, so often uh, in the workforce, women's pregnancies wind up kind of ruining their careers, not because of their own fault, but because of the way that everyone around them kind of reacts to it. Um, but in this case, like Amy Heckerling had a kid and the idea came from her experience um, with her baby and like her and the guy that she was married to at the time, um, 
you know, like pretending to make the baby talk and like just to like amuse themselves. And I just think it's so cool that like she was able to turn this life experience that a lot of times can be detrimental for women's careers into something that grossed like two hundred and eighty million dollars on a budget of thirteen, I think. Oh. Um, yeah. What a nice lens to look at it through. Yeah. And so I watched it a second time because I was just like, I I feel like there's a lot here. There's a lot going on. And I just missed all of it because it's. I just was like, I can't believe somebody made this movie. Um, and the second time I watched it, it blew my socks off. I loved it so much. Um, my favorite thing about it entirely is actually the opening credit sequence is... Uh, an egg being fertilized by sperm. Oh, I remember that part. Yeah. Yeah. And so like right off the bat, I was like, what the fuck? I cannot believe this is like in a major studio movie and that this is the opening credit sequence. It really blew my mind. Loved it. Kirstie Alley is just amazing. Um, John Travolta is great. Again, he dances a lot in this one too. It should be illegal. For him not to dance in movies because he's such a good dancer um yeah and it's just like all of the things that i uh love about amy hackerling's movies apparently now that i'm watching them all is um like they're all in this movie in just such a, a perfect way like she does like fantasy dream sequences so great and there's so many of them <laughs> in this one um you know and you get so much more of like a woman's perspective and a, a female gaze on it that just I recommend it so highly I can't I, I still am like blown away by it I cannot believe that I this was the first time that I saw it and that I didn't know that this director who made my favorite movie like also made another movie that maybe is my new favorite movie it's look who's talking is your favorite thrilling. movie I don't know yet. It's still very new. <laughs> Is your favorite movie right now? Um, maybe, maybe. Uh, we're recording an episode about Clueless on Monday. Mm-hmm. So, well, because I felt that like you know maybe I'm too old for my favorite movie to be about a high school student. Mm, you know. No. I don't know, but I'm. I this am is your so like. Excited. I'm in my thirties now. This is my adult favorite movie. Right. About a talking baby. This is my grown-up movie. This is my grown-up movie. Um, Like, it's actually, like, not about the talking baby. It's really more about Kirstie Alley's character. (laughs) Um, But the talking baby is cute and fun. And it's, like, a really interesting concept that wound up influencing a lot, like, Rugrats and stuff like that. Also, um... Twink Kaplan, who plays Miss Geist mm-hmm. in Clueless, uh, who is Amy Heckerling's best friend in real life, is in Look Who's Talking movies too as her best friend, and um, she's great. Love her. Great to see her in a different role. Um, yeah, and I I'm so excited to watch Clueless again. Like after doing so much research and watching all of her movies made up to this point. It's really exciting. I'm also listening to the audiobook of uh, a book called As If, which is an oral history 
of the making of Clueless. Whoa. Uh, yeah, and it is amazing. I'm learning so much. I can't even begin to tell you what a joy this has been so far. <laughs> so uh, subscribe to Cinemakers, our first episode of the Amy Heckerling season is going to be out on November 19th. So you'll everyone will get to hear me talk so much more about this stuff. And I listened back to our episode here on Wistful Thinking about Clueless um, just to like refresh my memory of what we talked about. Mm-hmm. And you said that you were going to start using Amber's W fingers on your roommates and saying whatever and giving them double w fingers have you started doing that? Ugh, no okay i'll check back seems, in again in a year it seems mean see. it does seem mean. <laughs> <laughs> it seems mean i think you have to use that like sparingly use it on everyone yeah yeah um and um, that well and so on cinemakers this is the first female director yes Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And it is making me want to just watch so many more movies directed by women. I just <laughs> like it's a completely different experience, and it's a delight. I've been having a good time, even with the bad movies. Well, yeah. Cool. Yay. Yeah. Um, in Clueless, Cher's dad, played by Dan Hedaya, who plays about Dick. This week, in a in a role that he, he was plays the born titular to play. character, and he is so funny. He's. I mean, so they're funny. all so funny. They're all so funny. They are. This is a perfectly cast movie. But wait, okay. Let's. I want to start by saying that this was directed by Andrew Fleming, mm-hmm. who is the same person who directed The Craft. Mm-hmm. And to me, they are the same movie. Like, Interesting. It's, it's just two movies about how teenage girls are the most powerful beings on the planet. Yes. <laughs> um, I agree with that hypothesis. <laughs> um, Although, at the same time, I can't believe how different they are. Yeah, well, um, yeah, this as a movie actually reminds me a lot more of Clueless. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody... Yeah, I think uh, Leonard Malton, in his review, described it as a cross between Clueless and All the President's Men, which is exactly what yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. I also read that and laughed really hard. Um, I'm trying to look for a good, like, really brief plot. So I looked at I just pulled it up on IMDb, and the plot on IMDb says, two girls wander away from a White House tour and meet President Nixon. I mean, that does happen. That's so not the plot. Okay. It's not. Um, so this movie is a parody, basically, of the of an Watergate. An alternate history. Yeah, an alternate yeah. history. Um, and it has these two 15-year-old girls as Deep Throat. Um, and... And they take down the president. Gosh, and it's amazing. It's so perfect. Every part of it is so perfect how they put it together. Like, yeah. if you told me this is what actually happened, I would be like, mm, yeah, okay. You know, I choose to believe that it is. <laughs> it's more fun I to live that way. I also choose to believe, oh, for sure. I also choose to believe, uh, and maybe I might write some, like, dick fanfic about this, uh, <laughs> that there is, like, a hacker cell of teenage girls from all around the United States right now working to bring down President Trump. I Ooh. choose to believe that that is true. Yes. And well, I will. That's like a little bit what I kept thinking. Count was on like it. 
Like, in... Let's say we come out of President Trump all alive and well. Let's just mm. pretend that we're sure that Good that's going to happen, even though we're not. In, like, 50 years... <laughs> Mm-hmm. If, yeah, I can't wait to see the version of this if, movie about this. If, yeah, if somebody makes like, that, a dick I, version of yeah. President Trump, will it be the funny? The whole time, I was like, like, I cannot wait to see. But it'll like, be funny? Like, time. our lives are terrible and scary right now. And, like, we're going <laughs> to yeah, make a yeah. joke out of this? But, I mean, the era that this movie takes place in was also a, I know. a tremendously terrifying mm-hmm. time to be alive. Um, totally. Which I think I appreciated a lot more, um, or I appreciate a lot more when I see this movie as an adult than I did when I first saw it as a teenager because I've taken, you know, several modern history classes and, you know, just know so, and, and because of the constitutional crisis surrounding the Trump presidency know so much more about like the Saturday Night Massacre Mm -hmm. and like a lot of the things that happened in the Nixon administration and and the parallels between the two. Well and like what's weird about this movie is like because I also saw this when it came out and so we were like 99. We were 13. You were 12. I was 13 ish when this came out. Mm -hmm. And like this movie really doesn't make sense if you don't know anything about Watergate. Um, but it's still fun. Like, yeah, like, you can still, I still watch it and enjoy I it. I still remember thinking it was fun, but like I didn't get it really, I don't think. Yeah. And so it's like fascinating to watch it now and then think about like they really marketed it like showing Michelle Williams mm-hmm. and, and Kirsten Dunst. So it was like it was marketed yeah. to teenage girls, and this is well, so not Tri-Star a movie for teenage thought girls. That, like, that was going to be the most, that this movie was going to do the best in that demographic. So they marketed it toward that demographic, even though it's actually like the people they, who would appreciate it most are the people who are actually alive in that. It was like our parents. Yeah. Because like the because like it's not like it's just, like Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst are amazing in this, but like They're so good. So is everybody else. Like it's all just like Saturday yeah. Night Live and Kids in the Hall cast. Like they're great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in 1972, that's the year my parents got married. <laughs> I just wrote that down because remember how you said it would be interesting for us to like revisit places oh. that we were in our lives yeah. the years that uh-huh. the movie came out well uh-huh. obviously not the year that the movie came out but the year that it set in so i thought about that because the the very first scene in the movie is kirsten dunce trying to type the date on a uh she's typewriter. so cute yeah i mean they're both so cute but she's like she's like well i want to say she's dumber than michelle williams but they're both pretty dumb in this yeah, no, Michelle Williams seems to be the smarter one. I mean, she is wearing glasses, so obviously, per movies, she's the smarter one. But they're also both, like, they're, uh, okay, here's part of what I love about this movie, is, like, the same way that in The Craft, the friendships are really strong, and the women, well, I actually think these are these women are more who they are than they were in The Craft, like... Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, their friendship is so strong. Um, and they just, like, 100% accept each other for who they are. And are just, like, <laughs> so in love with each other. Like, they reference several times that, like, neither one of them has any other friends. <laughs> it's just, it's so sweet. And they're yeah. so accepting and so amazing. 
Yeah, they are a delight. Also, Terry Garr plays Michelle Williams' mom. Yeah. I love her, and I was very excited to see her in this, although she is only in it very, very briefly. Pretty briefly. I kept, um, when I was, like, right before I was watching this, I kept Googling Watch Dick, and then panicking at what was going to come up, (laughs) but every time it was, it knew what I wanted, (laughs) it knew what I meant. that's good. But they do sneak in a lot of, um good dick jokes yeah oh i watching this i realized oh this is why i find yelling i love dick so funny oh my god that it's because it's the funniest thing in the world to me i don't know why well now i know why it's because i saw this movie at a very impressionable age probably because it happens twice where they're having a conversation and um like they accidentally wind up yelling I love dick or that maybe they don't yell I love dick in it's the second no time one it time it's oh, I love you can't dick, let and dick ruin your like, life you, no at, at the end it's you suck dick oh okay but they don't yell that that's the they make a big sign that says you suck dick which is yeah. so great but there's there's <laughs> another point where they're standing there's um, another time where she yells yeah yeah and she says you can't let dick ruin your life she says dick frightens or me run your life mm-hmm um, something that I really enjoy about this movie is just the, like, the aesthetic of it all, um, because the sets are decorated in, like, a really intricate way, um, yeah, I, like, purposefully patterns everywhere, like, plaids and paisleys and plaids and stripes and and the costumes too but like especially in the sets um and i just love power clashing uh i just really enjoyed how much bad 70s patterns there were well i think that's part of why it reminded me of clueless so much is Mm -hmm. like it was the same aesthetic except clueless is the 90s and this was the 70s just like really really extreme whatever the trends were yeah, and like uh, a ridiculous number of costume changes. For yes, yes. Uh, in a way that was really delightful. Did you have a favorite look that they got to wear? No. I mean, their clothes are all hideously ugly. <laughs> I don't agree with that. <laughs> I thought you might not. Yeah. Um. No, I like I like the American flag outfits that they put together at the end. Yeah, and I love that they make them themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my favorite ending of any movie I think I've ever seen. Really? Yes, a hundred percent. I I like there's there's no other movie that I can think of where I'm like watching the end and I'm like, this is perfect this is the most perfect thing i've ever seen yeah this is so joyful and wonderful and then during the credits they're just roller skating around the oval office to dancing queen and it's wonderful (laughs) yes i definitely like laughed and cried and squeed at the end of this movie (laughs) because after richard nixon resigns from office um, as he gets on the helicopter and flies, flies 
away in disgrace and the two girls have sewn these amazing American flag costumes. They go up on the roof with a giant sign that says you suck dick and then he's flying by and he sees it and it's just and he gives so them the triumphant. Yeah. Oh, it's it's just the most delightful thing in the world. How about them eyebrows though? I didn't know oh, they were really skinny. Yeah, they were pretty ridiculous. I didn't I think I only noticed Kirsten Dunst's eyebrows though. Oh, but well, they were worry. like the skinny nineties brows. Send you a picture. Yeah, I don't know what eyebrows were like in the seventies at that time. I'm gonna find out. <laughs> I feel like when we watch a good movie, we have less to talk about. Yeah, because we're just like well, I love I it. I just wanna, I just wanna uh, rattle off all of the things that I love about it. Um, like I love uh, the whole Hel- Hello Dolly's. Thing throughout the mm-hmm. movie where we're, uh, one of the girls has this like embroidered cross stitch recipe for Hello Dolly's hanging on their kitchen wall so they make some for the president with some walnuts but her brother keeps his weed in the walnut jar and so that winds up in the Hello Dolly's and they accidentally dose not only President Nixon but his her parents, his entire Everybody. staff, <laughs> and uh, uh, Brezhnev, who I think was like the leader of the Soviet Union at that time, uh, and then he starts singing, singing "Hello, Dolly," and it's just the best. And they save the world. And they save like, the world. Yeah, <laughs> like a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, I recently fell down like a YouTube hole just watching. Um, old interviews with Grace Slick, who was the lead singer of Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson mm-hmm. Starship and other incarnations of that band. Um, and she wrote about this in her memoir, I guess, and then was like asked about it on a bunch of uh, talk shows. But she and Abby Hoffman, who is like a famous dissident and activist of that time, anti-war activist, um, Like, she got in fight, she went to the same college as one of Nixon's daughters, and so she got invited to the White House for some luncheon of, like, women, peers of this daughter to come to the White House, whatever, um, that had other alumni of this college, that's the word I was looking for, um, and she received the invitation and it was to her maiden name so it did not say grace like it just said grace whatever her name was originally and so they didn't realize who she was so she and uh she and abby hoffman uh dressed in disguises and their plan was that they were going to dose nixon with lsd (laughs) (laughs) and uh they were gonna sneak into the white house and she had this whole plan for how she was gonna do it and like tip some into his drink but they were intercepted by the secret service before they were able to enter the white house unfortunately (laughs) but apparently everyone was trying to dose nixon in the late 60s and early 70s and i just love that these two girls managed to pull it off accidentally yeah they also taught him the peace sign (laughs) Yep. That's what I mean. Like, it's like they found, they took, like, some real things that happened Uh and, like, found a way to explain it all away using these 50s 
teenagers. Yeah. And like it's so seamlessly so too. It, like it's not yeah, shoehorned it's... in there. It's just like so natural within the story. It's wonderful. Yeah, like the. I mean, it's really good writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, written by uh, the director and some lady who only wrote one other movie. I forget her name. I looked her up. She hasn't done really anything else. Yeah, just the one, like one movie starring Gina Gershon, and that's it. Um, but it was cool that a lady co-wrote this because it has lady stars. Yes, and her name is Cheryl Longin. I didn't want to just keep referring to her as some lady. Yeah, I guess we shouldn't do that. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, I love Anna Gasteyer in this. Oh, she's so wonderful. I wish that uh, she plays the. She plays Dick's secretary. I wish she had a larger part. Because um, apparently that secretary, like, followed him wherever he went, like, until he died, basically. Whoa, weird. Yeah, they had a really weird relationship, which you can tell because she has that painting of him, that portrait of him hanging <laughs> behind her desk, which is, like, this really weird glamour shot. There's a really weird, I forget what it is, but I just remember seeing and thinking it was, it was really bizarre um, portrait of Nixon in the National Portrait Gallery, where they have all the portraits of the presidents. His is weird, and I don't it's remember weird why. How? I don't know. Maybe I should Google it. Nixon National Portrait Gallery. There we go. Oh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> Why is it weird? Um, I guess I have he's to like, it now too. Look, he looks super cash. It's it's by Norman Rockwell. I'll send you. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, did you just find it? It's so okay. There's um, there's a. It's almost so. If you ever watched the comedy Bang Bang TV show or listen to the podcast, I've seen but, like a couple episodes of the TV show, but not a lot. There's a character that Bobby Moynihan plays called Forval, and. He does this thing that makes me laugh so hard, even though it's probably not that funny, where he, like, does, like, that lean over with his, like, hand under his chin, uh-huh. like, what Nixon is doing in this portrait, um, except he just, like, hovers it under his chin and doesn't actually touch his chin, and then has, like, a hand on his hip doing the same thing, and I think it's so funny, and, like, it's the, he's doing the same pose. Yeah, because he's, like, leaning on a sofa he has one arm on the back and then his hand on his chin and he just looks so like calm and serene and not particularly nixon like why would you be covering any part of your face in a a presidential presidential portrait portrait. it's just like so have you ever seen or have you ever been to the national portrait gallery i have not okay the the it's wonderful um in general, but the presidential portraits are all really interesting. Hmm. Um, Guess I'll have to look at them. Yeah, because they're all painted by, like, you know, really quote-unquote big, important artists, um, Mm -hmm. which is why, like, the Obama portraits were such a big deal, because they sought out uh, black artists that did not have the kind of world renown that like Norman Rockwell di- did when he did mm-hmm. Nixon's portrait and that sort of thing um, and those two the Obama portraits are gorgeous I haven't seen them in person but they're really wonderful um, but like Bill Clinton's is a Chuck Close uh, which is really interesting um, do you know who Chuck Close is 
I do now that I'm looking at this at this I wouldn't have known but I guess I have seen this yeah so he he's a painter who started his career doing these like really large photorealistic uh, portraits and then um, I think he had like a spinal aneurysm or something like that and uh, is quadriplegic and like devised this way of painting uh, this adaptive way of painting where he like uses circles in grid form circles or circular shapes in like a grid form um, so that when you're like up close to the painting it's very abstract but when you're when you're far away um, you see the shapes all come together as the portrait kind of like a full-on Monet uh, but they're like really <laughs> huge really incredible paintings I love his work um, and the Clinton portrait is, is interesting for that reason um, I don't know how I got on the topic of presidential well you're paintings. talking about well, you're, I don't know either. You're talking about Nixon, and so we looked at his. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh Nixon's secretary. Yeah. Uh, also great in this are Will Ferrell and, oh, what's his name? From Kids in the Hall. Bruce McCullough. Yeah, who play uh, an extremely bumbling Wood, Woodward and Bernstein. Oh, my God. They are so fun. This is like peak Will Ferrell, too. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is when the world was like, yes, give us this man and everything. We love him. I don't know. I feel like it was actually like just slightly before that era. Was it? Yeah. All right. I can believe that, too. Um, but he is, he, he is doing peak Will Ferrell. Like in the very yeah, best like, way. Yeah, like he's he's exactly himself. <laughs> and and they're just like I, I feel like this movie is actually making fun of men, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean it's making fun of everyone, but the men yes. are like especially bumbling in this. I agree. Well, I don't know. The powerful if men. It seems that way, or they're just like aren't enough women characters for us to get a gauge you know what I mean right because I mean they are making fun of the main characters too I guess well just like in this version everyone's a bumbling idiot <laughs> yeah. um, but the the grown-ups <laughs> seem that. to be much worse oh. than the teenagers maybe well because teenagers are allowed to be bumbling right idiots. I mean, anyone's allowed to be a bumbling idiot, whatever. But, well, you know, it's like you expect it from someone hope. who's had less life. Yeah, one would hope that, you know, the people the people in charge would maybe not be. But uh, our current reality shows that that mm. is, mm. Uh, yeah. you know. But, because um, if you read or you watch All the President's Mound, you get an understanding that, like, Woodward and Bernstein did not get along. Like, the mm-hmm. fact that they are going down in history tied to each other is actually kind of hilarious. Um, and they just do such a good job of highlighting that and just making them seem like like this whole thing just falls into their laps. Um, and they're, they're not these brilliant journalists that, you know, they're regarded as. And they're, like, literally slap-fighting each other yeah. a bunch. <laughs> um, Jim Brewer is also really great in this, and, like, a really understated role for him. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, he plays the White House counsel, who the whole time is just like, I, why am I fucking doing this? Like, why am I here? <laughs> uh, in a really great way. 
Oh, and the guy who plays Henry Kissinger, too. Uh, what's his name? Saul Rubenstein? He's excellent. Also, I feel like a role that he was born to play. Oh, yeah, that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everyone's cast awesome. What else do you love from this movie? Mm-hmm. All of it. The yellow couches in the Oval Office. <laughs> just the colors. <laughs> I just love 70s colors. Um, I also love that 70s yellow. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, the refrigerator that we had was that color. Ooh, that's super ugly. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> and, like, our whole ground floor of the house was, like, wood paneled and, like, very dark wood paneling. It was very 70s. Um, oh, I love that uh, hearing Nixon be an asshole about his dog is the thing that, like, turns them against mm-hmm. him. Well, because they don't know anything about, like, politics or Watergate or anything. Yeah. But they like that dog. Yeah. And they, like, they, like, use that as their gauge for, like, somebody being a good person or a bad person. Like, he's well, a good th- person when I mean, he likes the dog. And when he's mean to the dog, he's a bad person. There's plenty of, like, other ways to judge people. But I think that's a pretty accurate way. That's what they use, yeah. though, in this. I mean, President Trump is the only president... I think in his American history, at least modern American history, that hasn't had a dog, and I think that says a lot about him. Also, Whenever Mitt Romney, a person, you can like have a dog, strapped his dog to the fam to like the yeah, roof of the family minivan. That weird thing. Oh my god. Was Mitt Romney also the one who had binders full of women? Yep. Ah, what a <laughs> that was what a quaint, a quaint time, more innocent time. <laughs> What, what a cartoon! What I wouldn't do for binders <laughs> full of women. Binders full of women. That was the worst. Yeah, what was a it good though? time that was. Because that was not that bad. No, it really wasn't. <laughs> so much worse. Uh, um, so yeah, there in my fantasy, there is this hacker cell of teenage girls. They're all over the United States, and they are working to bring down the Trump administration. They're working on getting that P tape. They're working on getting all the other tapes. Not that anything could really be that incriminating think, at this do point. Do you think maybe maybe they could be working with teenage girls in Russia? Oh. International sisterhood. Yep. Although it's it's hard for me it, like I feel like I you know as a a child of uh, the late 80s and 90s who consumed a lot of uh, things about computer hacking from the 80s. <laughs> like, growing up, it's hard for me to trust, you know, Russian hackers. Oh, yeah, but sure. But times are different. Everyone, you everyone's know, hacking I like to everyone. imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's hacking everyone for sure. I like to imagine that um, you know, maybe maybe the Russian teenagers, you know, are catching a little bit of this Me Too. Maybe they have mm-hmm. some stuff to rebel mm-hmm. against. Like Pussy Riot, definitely involved. Every, everyone's got yeah. some cool colored balaclavas. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to my fanfic about what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, eventually they'll crack the code, they'll crack the case, and uh, everything will be fine. Right? Okay. Please. Cool. Yep. Sure. 
Um, well, I have some nostalgia-related things to talk about that are not dick Okay. Can I just rattle off a few trivia points before we get yes. to that? Okay. One, most of the clothes used on the film are original polyester clothes from the 1970s. They were bought brand new from a warehouse the way that, like, Mad Men did. Um, co-writer and director Andrew Fleming wanted a feel of a 1970s movie, so he tried to frame frame scenes as he thought they might have been framed in a comedy from that era. Uh, he also used analog tape editing tools rather than digital to maintain this film. Hmm. Both Dan Hedaya and Saul Rubinick appeared in Nixon, though not in the same roles. Uh, co-director and or co-writer and director Andrew, Andrew Fleming said of this film, former President Nixon and the Watergate scandal to the Washington Post. Quote, originally we thought it was an irreverent way to treat something serious, but in reading the transcripts of the tapes, we felt that he was irreverent. He violated us, lied to us, did things that were illegal, and seriously permanently damaged this country. I'm amazed that there is this effort to rehabilitate his image, which apparently people were trying to do in the late 90s to like, kind of go back and make him seem not as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, when Betsy and Arlene crank call uh, Bob Woodward and Woodward and Bernstein, Arlene says that she is the British ambassador's daughter, and this could be a veiled reference to Carl Bernstein's later affair with Margaret Jay, who is the daughter of, Bre- of British Prime Minister James Callaghan and married to the then-British ambassador to the U.S., which eventually became the subject of the novel and film Heartburn by Bernstein's aggrieved ex-wife, Nora Ephron. I don't think I realized that they were married to each other. They were married? I didn't know that. I think I knew that, like, at one point and totally forgot it, and so I have to go back and see that movie, because she is the best. Um, this is the second film of Kirsten Dunst that was released the same year as The Virgin Suicides, that, uh, which, 1999, that was set predominantly during the 1970s. Is that, like, the movie that made Kirsten Dunst? No, no, because she was, I think, um, uh, Interview with a Vampire, when she was really No, little. but she was, I know she was in a lot of stuff mm-hmm. before that, but I feel like, Virgin Suicides was when she was like arrived but maybe that's mm, not true I don't think that movie was that big I saw it so many times yes it was big among <laughs> our demographic but I don't think like as a whole let's let's uh let's take a look at the numbers did did Sofia Coppola direct anything before that yeah I think she did one hang on the Virgin oh Josh Hartnett is in that He's so cute in it. He has dumb seventies hair. Oof. He's remember he's the he's like the boy at school that Lux falls in love with. I vaguely remember, and I I only am very very recently on the Josh Hartnett bus. I did not realize how hot he was <laughs> until very recently. Ooh, you know what he's really hot in? What? The faculty. Ooh, ooh, yeah. No, everyone in that movie is really hot. Yes. Oh, we should watch that. Yes. Um, write that down. Cause I'm s- <laughs> we should have watched that in the scary movie month. <laughs> well, any any month can be scary movie month. Uh, after we f- finish recording, actually, I want to talk 
about what to do in December, which could be maybe a scary movie month again. Oh, also, Kirsten Dunst was in Wag the Dog, which I have nominated, although we have not decided for sure that that's what we're going to watch for our third for our next movie November because she's so good she's every time I watch a movie that she's in I'm like you know I don't appreciate her enough we don't appreciate her enough she's so good at being like like dramatic like within the character being melodramatic you know what I mean the way that she is Mm -hmm. when she plays Amy in Little Women it's like Joe you're one beauty or in this there there are so many times where she's like so sincere and so melodramatic and it's just so wonderful yeah but it's not like it it seems like it should be over the top but like it's really not it sounds really like kind of genuine Mm -hmm. coming from her yeah that's and she just pulls that off so perfectly um Virgin Suicides was her first feature film, feature length. Sofia Coppola. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I don't think I realized. So I think that was probably a big deal, too. Yeah. Lost in Translation is only her second movie. Interesting. Oh. Unpopular opinion? I don't like that movie. Um, <clears throat> There are things that I love about it, but I think if I revisited it now, I might hate it. I wonder if I would like it more now. I haven't seen it in like 10 years. Yeah. I don't know. I have a complicated relationship with Sofia Coppola's movies. Because they're so like visually beautiful. But they're boring. They're like pretty they, they boring. Are, I, yes, exactly. And I don't. And so like I have said that like she would have been better suited to being a production designer maybe or a cinematographer Mm -hmm. but then I have also walked that back quite a bit because there are plenty of male directors who that exact same thing is true about and nobody says that about them you know but then maybe but maybe they maybe should well yeah but I I just I I don't know if I'm like evaluating her in a fair way you know Mm -hmm. Um, I did watch Marie Antoinette again recently, and that was quite wonderful. So, mm-hmm. who knows? Um, and then I was like, oh, maybe I do like her movies. And then I watched The Beguiled, which is so fucking boring. <laughs> really? And it looks like it shouldn't be boring. I, You know, I think I just was, like, not in the right place to be watching it. And it's it's a very tonally completely different movie than Marie Antoinette and was, like, the wrong movie to watch in that sequence you know um maybe i should have watched lost in translation instead i don't know what else was i looking for oh right what the how much money virgin suicides made um like 4.9 million dollars or like nothing yeah well that was a gross u.s and then worldwide 5.5 so like approximately 14 million dollars which is not a lot at that time i don't think um so yeah no i don't think that was a particularly big movie i think i don't know i feel like maybe when did bring it on come out Mm, after this i don't know not 
can't be too long. Okay, let's take guesses. What year do you think it came out? Like 2002. I would say like, yeah. Oh, okay, 2000. I think Bring It On was the movie that that broke her. Because that, I I don't know. Maybe that was only big in our demographic. Do you think that movie's still good? I'm pretty sure it is. Okay, and that made way more money. Yeah, so I think it was Bring It On. Um, I think it will still be entertaining, but I think that the uh, racial dynamic would be problematic. Hmm, yeah, that's true. Uh, and has, like, a real Stick It vibe. <laughs> yes. I mean, Bring It On is a better movie than Stick It, mm-hmm. though. That's probably true. I mean, I'll, it's not because, like, Stick It's the best movie that anyone's ever made, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, one last trivia point about Dick, and then you can talk about your nostalgia, whatever you're going to say. Um, the writers had attempted several different scripts with teenage girls as protagonists. The idea of using the Watergate scandal came from a real-life experience of the lady writer. Whose <laughs> uh, <that just laughs> name we cannot remember. Her name is Cheryl Longin, oh. but yeah. if I had said Longin... People would have been like, I'm sorry, who is that? So it was based on a real-life experience that she had had with Nixon when her family stayed at the same hotel as him. As a child, she and a friend pelted him with ice cubes, causing a minor disturbance. (laughs) Um, uh, And they had cited uh, the Watergate scandal as a defining political moment for their their generation. Um, And said that she channeled the resulting anger and cynicism into the script. Several people told the duo that the various gags went too far. Fleming, who believed Nixon got off easy, said they fought to keep everything in the movie. They approached Ben Bradley and John Dean to play themselves, but both ultimately declined. They were members of the administration. I don't remember who exactly. Mm -hmm. I think maybe one of them was the uh, attorney general. I don't know. Anyway. That would be weird if anybody played themselves in this movie. Yeah. That would just, like, would be such another, a whole new level. Yeah. Another layer. You know what else about Look Who's Talking? Amy Hackerling's dad <laughs> plays, like, her real-life dad plays Kirstie Alley's dad in the movie, and he's hilarious. He doesn't really, like, say anything or do much, but he is really good in it still. Okay. I'm having a nostalgia-filled weekend. Cool. That I, well, okay. On Saturday, well, this doesn't matter. There's no time in this podcast. This will all have already happened by the time this podcast comes out. And I'll give an update on the next one. But I'm going to see Hanson again, Mm. which we've talked about on this show before. Mm -hmm. Um, But so last, I've seen Hanson many, many times. Um, But this time I'm going with my sister and my oldest friend who I've never she's never seen Hanson before I don't think she has and we've no we have gone together before in Boston like 10 years ago more than 10 years ago and so we're going to go together again in Boston and then on Monday I'm going to see my high school favorite band which is Saves the Day and it just has me thinking like is this a wrong is this the wrong way to live my life (laughs) In the past? Um, you know, I struggle with this a lot because life is short. And so on the one hand, life is short and there's so much out there. So on the one hand, like I do want to, you know, try new things and 
have new experiences and see new art or hear new art or watch new movies or whatever. On the other hand, life is short and there's a lot of bad shit out there. Mm -hmm. And it's scary and there's a lot of bad shit going down right now. And it's important to feel joy and connect with who you truly are and live your best life as your fullest self. But I think that's part of the struggle is like, am I truly who I was when I was 15? Yeah. Well, (laughs) I think like a lot of like the personal work that like I've done in recent years is like trying to connect with like who I was before the world hurt me. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? And Mm -hmm. like what, what really is my true essence as a person and what are my Mm -hmm. true interests and not what has been dictated to me or what I've avoided because I was supposed to, or I was just like, you know, that sort of thing. Do you, so you said that like you try to see, figure out who you were before the world hurt you. Like you feel like, so you feel like that a version of your, this is not a good use of words, but like a, like quote unquote, correct version of yourself existed before no, of course before not. the world hurt of course you? not uh, that's because like, we think... learn and we grow and we become different people over the course of a lifetime but at the same time i think that like our true selves get kind of like locked away from a pretty early age yeah because like that's how i see it is like whatever version of myself that i'm uncovering now is the truest version and it never existed before mm-hmm. Um, it, well, for me, it's like a hybrid version of like this new person who has been through everything that I've been through and like learned everything that I've learned and, you know, that sort of thing. But also like, I don't know, because I just like really had like a very hard exterior on myself for a long time because mm-hmm. of like whatever um, when like the real me is actually very like sensitive and and you know I like to think sweet maybe who knows I don't know you are uh and and well you're thoughtful yeah and I had like pushed that very far down in myself for a long time and so like rediscovering that aspect of myself that that childlike wonder if you will (laughs) you know that sort of thing um but also, like, all of the experiences that I've had and, like, particularly, like, everything that's happened in my life in, in the last decade especially um, has, like, forged this whole new person. And so it, maybe it's trying to learn how to live within both of those things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Totally. Yeah. I've had the experience recently of, like, of spending a lot of time all of a sudden with five people who I didn't spend a lot of time with before because I'm um, on this flying trapeze team and it's like a giant, I mean it's a giant love fest like we're all, everyone's great and like really respectful of each other and like we all get along really well, we're all women Um, and I had the experience now of like spending enough time with them that they like kind of accidentally point out things about me that I <laughs> that I either don't don't acknowledge or like just don't realize uh-huh. 
And it's been like a really nice experience to be like, oh, you're right. That is who I am. Uh, is um, there is there an example that you feel comfortable sharing? There's two. Okay. It happened twice in the last like, couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, we were, I was like, we were all standing. So the flying trapeze board's really small and six of us have to stand on it together. <laughs> and um, what could possibly go wrong? It's very crowded. But, you know, whatever, we all, you know, we know how to share space. It's just, like, a thing you learn in circus if you're going to work with other people. Um, But I was, like, I don't even remember what I was doing. I was, like, standing really close to one of them and, like, snuggling up behind them. And then I was, like, trying to – have you ever done the thing where you – where you bite your elbow or, like, have someone squeeze it really hard? Because it doesn't really have very much feeling. You have no idea what I'm talking about. No, I'm, I'm too busy trying to bite my elbow. Um, <laughs> if you were here, I would do it for you. Okay. Um, but so that's that's the thing that I like to do to other people and then have them do it to me because I just think it's you – can, you can bite so hard before they can feel it. <laughs> uh, Wait. Okay. Um, I'm going to need you to be a little bit more specific. Where are you, where are you biting <laughs> and how are you getting it? From your elbow and into your mouth, because I am very hypermobile, you you but I can't get my no, elbow into my mouth. You have to do it to someone else. Oh, okay. You can like pinch it on yourself, like this, but... just the skin, or yeah, just like the oh, okay. part of your elbow that's just skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Now I know what you're talking about. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. So anyway, <laughs> you were so talking about like, like the full like... elbow joint. <laughs> did you just try to put your whole elbow joint in your mouth? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> Um, but so I was just what like, am I dumb. chewing? <laughs> I was doing dumb stuff like that up on the board when we were flying, and one of them looked at me and she's like, "Jordan, I never realized it before, but you're kind of just a snuggly cat." Oh, <laughs> I was like, "Yes, I am." But it's like if you met me, you would never know that right away. Like yeah. most people would never know that because I'm actually a swarm of bumblebees, right. and you have to get through the bumblebees first. You know? Yes, uh, I do know. <laughs> so and then another one we were like we were doing something that was really hard and I was whining about it and my coach was like trying to help me and I was like yelling back at him I was like you don't have to help me I'm just whining <laughs> and one of my teammates was like yeah Jordan whines to self-soothe <laughs> and I was like yes exactly oh I do that too because we're it was just like so but it's so nice to be surrounded by people who like I have let them see me Mm -hmm. to be seen that's very important so yeah like witness me Mm -hmm. you know um like you know sometimes on purpose and sometimes by accident yeah um and then to have it acknowledged Mm -hmm. um and also not just acknowledged but like uh accepted and affirmed because oh, it's yeah, one yeah, thing yeah. for someone to be like, yeah, you whine because you self-soothe and actually it's really annoying and you should stop doing that <laughs> versus no, no, no. Like, just like almost standing up for you and just saying like, this is just the thing that she needs to yeah, do. That's, that's amazing. exactly what it was like. Yeah. yeah. That's so nice. It is so cool. And I, yeah, I've just never like really had that experience before and it's like helping me see myself in new ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and like having me feel safe in different ways it's it's cool well that's the best mm-hmm. we need more opportunities in this world to feel more safe well, yeah well because then it's like because then i think about it and it's like 
What if I felt like this for my whole life? Know. You know, Ugh. what if well, that's a heartbreaker, like isn't that? it? Yeah. What? I that just breaks my heart. Yeah. Because like yeah. so few people ever get the opportunity in their lifetime to feel that way, let alone like just thinking about how how different your life would be or would have been if you felt as seen and affirmed and supported like because that would be like life-changing I think you know to have that from like a really early age because mm-hmm. yeah I did not, not have that to be something that you have to like relearn uh-huh you know which is what I feel like I've had to do mm-hmm. like I've truly had to learn how to even like like because I think when I look back there's like a lot of people who tried to give me like what I have now mm. with friends mm-hmm. um, but I just like didn't even know how to let them mm. so like I just it didn't even matter you know yeah yeah it, it, you know it takes two both sides have to open up um, but that's kind of yeah I mean I have not that same experience but like similar experience like learning how to be a person in the world you know Mm -hmm. like and emotionally um intelligent and in touch with my own emotions um I've had to like relearn how to do that as an adult or not Mm -hmm. relearn to do it because I never learned to do it you know yeah and I guess that's kind of what I mean when I say like reconnecting with the person that I was before the world hurt me because I like never had the opportunity to uh like learn how to occupy that space I guess Mm-hmm. yeah and how did we get there <laughs> Ah, uh, you were talking about going to see Hanson? <laughs> and Nostalgia? Yeah, it'll be... Well, well, okay, yeah, so I think it will be an interesting experience. So I've seen I've seen Hanson many times, so that doesn't even really feel, like, nostalgic anymore. It's just, like, a thing I do every mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah, they're seeing, just a band that you like. <laughs> like that's fine. That People like, like bands. For real, as an adult. Yeah. Um... But like for so, but like uh, seeing Saves the Day, like I haven't seen Saves the Day in at least, at least ten years, probably longer. And I think it'll be interesting to see if it's fun or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like the lead singer sounds terrible now. Like his voice sucks. Um, I can't even stand to listen to their new albums. But like then I watched a video. Of, like, all these kids, you know, not kids, like, my age, but it's just, like, it looked exactly like it looked, you know, when I was 15 going to their shows. Just, like, everyone singing and, like, and I was, like, ooh, I think I want that. I want to see if I can make that feeling exist for me again. Mm. But maybe it doesn't exist anymore and maybe it doesn't need to. Yeah. But there's also no harm in, like, uh, like trying to see if it's still there and it's always an interesting experiment like as long as you're not spending an inordinate an 
in inordinate a lot of time <laughs> as long as you're not spending you know tons of time like chasing that feeling oh yeah that'd be weird that would be weird but i think being open to having that feeling again or whatever well sometimes i worry that i do spend too much time chasing that feeling in like small ways but i i mean i think it's normal it's normal ish what i do like like we're all just trying to self-soothe at all times like we're all chasing some sort of feeling at any given time so like it's definitely totally normal i'm just trying to normalize this for you (laughs) what were you saying um no it is normal and like everyone has their own way of like doing that yeah like one of my ways is that i i watch things that i think are funny over and over and over and over again Mm. um a lot of them are podcasts like i'll just go back and listen to like especially like comedy bang bangs and like how did this get made like things just that like made me laugh until I couldn't breathe I'll go back and listen to them like over and over and over again I think that anything that makes you laugh is like like a totally okay thing to consume over and over like as long as it still makes you laugh that's all that matters you know yeah, I mean, that's, like, one of the things that I seek out the most. I don't know if you can tell listeners, I laugh a lot. <laughs> um, and so, like, but so I am, like, constantly seeking out something that can make me, like, genuinely, uncontrollably laugh. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it means I, like, it means there's, like, a lot of things that repeat in my life. Yeah. Which, like, people do that, though. People watch, like, the same movie and the same yeah. reruns of TV shows. People do it all the time. I don't necessarily like doing that, but there are, like, I just realized yesterday that they added some of the very early seasons of The Great British Bake Off to Netflix, like Mm -hmm. seasons that I haven't seen yet. And I mean, I don't know if there's a word for that feeling, but it's a good one. (laughs) and like anytime I can watch the Great British Bake Off is like the most soothing thing in the world to me and I it is something that I can rewatch but I I don't unless like I really just need like some Great British Bake Off vibes but to like find that like like I knew that there were seasons that I hadn't seen because they weren't on Netflix but to like actually be like oh my god and I wasn't expecting it, and it's here, and I haven't seen any of these episodes. It just was the best feeling in the world. Also, also, Netflix just added some episodes of Jeopardy, which is another favorite self-soothing knew... thing of mine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of mine too. Yeah, it's um, it's really just like tournaments of champions, I think. Um, mm. but you know, it's still Jeopardy. It still has the music. Still has those graphics i respect their commitment to their aesthetic just it's never changed it's never changed no i mean like they've updated the graphics like a little bit over the years but it is exactly the same and it is just the most soothing thing in the world yeah you don't even have to wait for commercials i remember i really liked the jeopardy music when i was small Mm -hmm. And my parents tell me this story about when I was, like, two. Like, I don't remember this. But my mom was in the hospital. She had a lot of knee surgeries when I was young. 
and my mom was in the hospital and so we were visiting her and I heard the Jeopardy music from like a room that was not my mom's room and so I just like ran down the hallway <laughs> yelling Jeppy Jeppy because <laughs> I really liked it it's so sweet I can't remember if we like if we used to watch it at home because my mom likes Jeopardy mm-hmm. or if like I had this babysitter I feel like Jeopardy was like the thing that was on like like around when my parents would come to pick me up you know yeah it's like that's the time of night that it's on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm. Um, I feel that joy about the good place mm-hmm. right now. I haven't it's... watched any of this season yet, but like, I'm just saving it. You know, I like to I'm bank s- up the episodes I'm... and just. Take a real strong hit of it all at once. I'm jealous. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm jealous of you that you haven't seen them yet. And you get to experience them for the first time. I know. That's... It is nice. It's such a delightful show. And it only keeps getting better. Yeah, it's really bizarre how they managed to do that. And then, like, in, and even when it, um... Even when it isn't getting better I like trust so hard that like it's going somewhere mm-hmm. like there'll be an episode that I'll be kind of like eh, uh, whatever but I like know it was all for a reason and that wherever they're taking me is going to be so much better than I can even imagine I had a weird another <laughs> going to talk about look who's talking again um, <laughs> it a weird experience watching it because uh, they use or maybe it was this. Yeah, it was actually the, it was the second movie. Look who's talking to. Um, they use the George Harrison song um, "Set on You." I got mm-hmm. my mind set on mm-hmm. you. Yep. Um, and it. I don't. I must have heard that song a lot as like a very, very, very young child, and like forgot about it. But it like activated something deep inside of me when I heard like a good thing. Um, when I heard it, where I was just like, I don't know why I haven't heard this song in a really long time, but I haven't, and I feel like it is somewhere deep inside of me. It means a lot to me, and I don't even know why. <laughs> But in a good way, it wasn't yeah. like a bad feeling. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Ooh. Yeah, no, because I've definitely had that happen. But like, yeah. it was just like a, oh wow, I, I I'm surprised that I hadn't heard it more more recently. I so I feel like like I, that's such a like it's such a great feeling mm. when that happens, and I feel like because it's like more and more and more easy for us to just access anything at any time yeah it's so much rarer yeah like i don't know if that's ever gonna happen to me again yeah you're, you're so lucky well you i mean surprise one. i didn't even re- like realize that it was a thing that could happen you know yeah because i feel like anything that i like liked as a kid i've definitely like sought out and re-listened to and i don't even know like where my love of that song comes from or like because I don't remember it being like there are certain things I remember being on a lot as a kid like a lot of Billy Joel like Jackson Brown weirdly a lot of Bob Marley for some reason (laughs) 
Um, and I don't necessarily remember George Harrison that much. And then I'll like hear one of his songs and it's like a primal reaction that I have. It's weird. <laughs> Music is so like, it's such a, like a weird time capsule. Cause I yeah. have been also listening to a lot of like, goth music that I was into in like 8th and ninth grade like what? oh uh, when I rewatched Marie Antoinette a few months ago mm-hmm. she uses uh, a Susie and the Banshee song in that and I was like oh yeah <laughs> and I <laughs> forgot how much I loved them uh, so I've been getting like way back into them in recent months uh, listening to The Cure a lot. And then Spotify started putting a lot of uh, songs by the Smiths on my playlist. And I was like, they're trying to make me get back into them. And it's working. Um, and so, like, I've, like, reheard recently a lot of songs that I hadn't heard in, like, 15 years. And just, mm-hmm. like, whoa. And I know every, like, lyric to it. And it's just, like, so bizarre to, you know just like get in that time machine yeah and to find out that it's still in your head is Mm -hmm. like whoa where was i keeping that yeah and why can't i remember important (laughs) things (laughs) right (laughs) yeah brains are weird brains are this week also my i was doing something with my therapist and she told me to think about it it made sense. It's going to sound weird when I say it, but she told me to think about, like, my brain floating in the liquid in my head. <laughs> oh, no, I do that sometimes. Like, when I, um, when I have, like, a headache that is, like, particularly pressurized, I will, like, think of my brain mm. existing outside of my skull. So, like, <laughs> let some of the air out, you know? Does it work? No. No. <laughs> but it's... You know, just, like, uh, helpful to visualize something other than, like, an axe in my skull or whatever it happens to feel like. Headaches are fun. Sorry, what were you talking about? Just my brain floating in liquid, that's yeah, all. Yeah, cool. What kind of liquid? Um, I don't know, like, head a liquid. Soup? <laughs> a, a stew? Uh... <laughs> no... Like cerebral spinal fluid, or I well, guess I was, not spinal fluid. Yeah, like I was laying down yeah. on the floor, and I just imagined like enough liquid, like kind of like gooey liquid, mm-hmm. so that my brain was like cozy and protected and wasn't like touching the sides of my head, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was nice. Have you ever done? Um been in a flotation tank no uh it's really weird and amazing because <laughs> it's like a sensory deprivation tank yeah um yeah they sound creepy and weird and like why would you do that to yourself but it's actually kind of the best because... no it sounds great i mean i love anything weird that can happen to my body <laughs> and that is like relatively safe like yeah. I'll, um, I'll do it yeah no it's wonderful because they heat the water to like I don't, whatever the whatever normal human body temperature is mine is lower so that was a problem how but, low is yours uh i'm usually at like a 96 or a 97 mm. and i think a normal a normal person is like 98 point 
98.7? is normal. Okay, yeah. I'm usually in like a low 96 point whatever. Um, which makes it hard to figure out if I have a fever or not. Because I'm like, well, it's higher than that, but not quite like fever territory. I don't know. It's complicated. Because like, are you just normal now? Or? Right. Um, but yeah, no, I wound up getting cold for whatever reason in there but like you just and you just like float and there's depending on the kind of tank that you're in like some of them have lights and music and stuff that you can play but you can also turn it off and it's just like total darkness total silence um and it's pretty great it's really good for like add brain Mm -hmm. or any sort of like overstimulation Mm -hmm. um and I found it really helpful. I only did it like a couple times because it's expensive and uh, I have to drive far. So by the time I get home, I'm like, all of the benefits were undone by that traffic. Oh. Um, but I, I found it really helpful also for like my general chronic pain level. Just kind of like mm-hmm. turn the noise down a bit, yeah. which was nice. I feel like we need more opportunities for, like, sensory deprivation Mm -hmm. in general. Yes. But it's, like, how can you even... It's, like, everything is everywhere. I know. You know? (laughs) There was a... I didn't get there to see it while it was there, but there was, like, this, like, silence chamber at the Guggenheim for a little while. Mm -hmm. Where you could, like, go in and experience total silence, which is not something that you can really experience in other environments um it must be really weird yeah yeah and the the chamber was designed to look like it like went off into like infinite space mm-hmm. but i'm cool. yeah i'm really bad and at getting to cool. museums while they have the thing that i want to see and i need to get better at that but yes scary and cool think we did it yeah i mean we went all sorts of places it's good yeah it's good. i like when we do that it's nice to just talk sometimes yeah i agree um well you got anything you want plug cinemakers subscribe hear me talk endlessly about how much i love amy heckerling <laughs> uh it's it's been a real joy to you know discover uh so much more of her work and um you know appreciate her as an artist and as a uh, auteur or whatever uh so subscribe to cinemakers uh wherever you get your podcasts wherever you're listening to this or check it out at cageclub.me of course where you can find all of the wonderful podcasts on the cage club podcast network that's it um, I am going to be on an episode of Too Fast, Too Forever. I don't, I'm not great at this. I don't know when it's coming out. <laughs> I don't know the release schedule of uh, Too Fast, Too Forever. So you're just going to have to um, subscribe to it. Yeah, subscribe to it. Wait for it. Um, we watched, uh, I watched, well, in my opinion, what is the best Fast movie, which is Fast 6. Why uh, is that the best one? It just is. It's like when they it's like when they realized what they had and started to like a little bit make fun of themselves. Mm. Like mm-hmm. they they become literal superheroes. Like they do things that humans can't do. Mm. Um 
it's just so fantastical and silly and funny and I I love the car chases and I love the stunts that they do um it's just uh, it's the best one um one of my spoiler if you've never seen the fast movies sorry this is a spoiler but like two of my f- two great characters die in this one oh, no. <laughs> and don't exist in the next movies um, and then you know Paul Walker died in real life after the seventh one mm. so we gained Jason Statham though after the sixth one which you know is a great addition but you know not the same without Paul Walker Anyway, but it's the best one. If you do subscribe to Too Fast, Too Forever, sometime in like 2020, I'll be doing a lap with them and watching all of them for the first time. I've never seen any of the movies. You're going to watch all of them? Yeah. Ugh, that's a, I feel really jealous again. Yeah. But now I can't see any of them. Like, I already haven't seen any of them, and now I can't see any of them. Cause I have and to, by like, 2020, you're going to have, there's going to be two more. Oh, no. There's doing a spin-off, a Hobbs and Shaw spin-off, which I'm sorry, that doesn't mean anything to you. Who are those people in real life? The Rock and Jason Statham. Okay. Which should be great. I hope they do a good job. Um, and then they're doing the ninth movie. Wow. So you have 2019 and 2020. Two more movies. Cool. Yeah. I got nothing else to plug. If you want to see me do circus stuff, go to my Instagram, at JordoPC. Carrie, you want to plug your Instagram? Oh, yeah. At Bimps. You usually do. Yeah, I forgot. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At Bimps, B-I-M-P-S-E. Check out my stories. Last night, I found a giant box of Twix in the I parking lot of my that. local Walgreens. Was there Twix in it? I, uh, yeah, it, it appeared to be full. Wow. Yeah. Who could abandon that in a parking lot? No, no. It was a, a it was yard so Twix. of Twix. Literally a yard long. And I um, didn't know that was a thing until I saw your story yesterday. It was the fucking funniest thing I've seen in a really long time. <laughs> I don't know why. It just made me laugh so hard. So tune in for that. Some of my, my fun tea bag tags. <laughs> and also my nature walks. Cool. Yeah, you do have good stories. I like to look at your stories. Thank you. I've been trying to I've been trying to post them a little bit more. Uh, mostly because my fly teammates keep taking selfies on my photos and I want to do something with them and I don't <laughs> know what to do with them. So I put them on Instagram stories when I like them. Sure. Um, cool. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Is that what I say here? Sure. <laughs> we'll see you next time um no I can do better than that uh thanks everyone for listening we'll be back next week with uh another episode of what am I chewing and then two weeks another episode of wistful thinking we will talk to you then bye, bye.
So 